Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of my weekly show. I'm Father Roderick, and I am podcasting from a freezing loft here at the top of the rectory of Father Henry. Freezing because outside it's nine degrees, inside it's even colder. My hands are frozen. not gonna stop me. I will just bring you this show no matter what happens, no matter how much the temperature here will plummet. I'm just waiting for springtime. Every once in a while you get these glimpses like the other day there was a beautiful gorgeous afternoon the temperatures were high. This was on King's Day which is the anniversary, the birthday of our current king. And so everybody gets a day off. And it was just so beautiful. It was warm, sunny. It was the perfect day. We went out for uh, with uh, on an outing, actually, with, uh, with Father Henry and Luigi, the Italian student who lives here in the house. And we did a tour of a number of castles and some old churches. And Father Henry, as usual, had some wonderful stories to tell about these places. And I was like, wow, finally, finally, springtime is here. And then the next day... It was back to frigid temperatures. Well, actually, this this is the perfect temperature for the movie that I wanted to talk about in this episode, which takes place uh, for most of the movie in very, very cold temperatures. I'll get to that. It's the Oscar-winning movie Nomadland. But before that, I want to thank my sponsors, my monthly supporters, all the patrons and people that support me in other ways every month for their ongoing support. And as usual, from time to time, I will mention their names. And so I've got a whole bunch of people that have recently joined the community, and I just want to name them here. I'll just use their first names um, just to thank them for for their participation. Um, So first of all, I want to welcome Theodore, Katie, Chin, Maurice, Nedra, Anthony, Claudia, Flavius, Maureen, The Star Wars Report, Gerson, Paracelsus Films, Douglas, and Brandon for their new membership of uh, the Patreon community. And they get, just like all the other patrons, get access to my other weekly show, which is called Father Roderick to the Max. And in today's episode, I'll be reviewing... Um, a very creepy movie based on one of the earliest, I think it's the second novel that was ever written by Stephen King, Salem's Lot. So I'll, if you want to listen to my thoughts on that movie, um, I'll refer you to, um, to Father Roderick to the Max. And if you are not a patron and you don't have access to that show, then you may want to take a look at patreon.com slash Father Roderick. You can join basically for anything you can miss. So... Let's move on to the news. You know what's going on? This is what's happening in your world. They said Catholics rule. We got Boston, South America, the good part of Ireland, and we're making serious inroads in Mozambique, baby. You've taken your first step into a larger world. I've been here for a couple of weeks now uh, since I moved out of my old rectory in, uh, in, the, in the city of Amersfoort. And now I'm temporarily staying at the rectory of Father Henry, but... Starting May the 1st, I will be officially an inhabitant of the town of Benicom. And I'll be living there in the rectory next to the local church there, but that still needs to be renovated. And on Monday, that's what we're going to start. Hank, who you know, who you may know as the acolyte, who is always helping me with the online masses until recently, um, and, and maybe in the future he will be again, 
um, he has uh, found some people that are very good at all these different things that are required. And, you know, we need to paint, we need to install a new kitchen, uh, wallpaper, all that stuff. I mean, I, I'd gladly help, but there is not much that I can do by myself. And so we're going to start the work on Monday, and I can't be more exciting excited. It's going to be, uh, uh, I think, a lot of work. I have no idea how much time it will take, but it's going to be good. And I'm so looking forward to to living there. Not that I'm complaining. I mean, uh, other than the low temperatures here in the attic, I'm having a great time here with uh, the uh, three uh, other people that uh, that are staying in this rectory. And um, and thankfully, I can do my work. I can do my podcast. I've got the 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 stream going, the the camera, the lights, everything works. It took me a few weeks to get everything set up, and it's still not ideal. The the, the one thing that is still really really troublesome is the Wi-Fi. So the 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 Wi-Fi signal is so weak because of the thick walls of this very very old rectory that I can't do any live streaming. So what you're watching right now is not live, even though it's feels like life. I hope it feels like life, but it's what we call in the TV industry semi-live. So it means it is recorded. I'm not editing anything, but it's still uh, brought to you with a, with a delay. And there's just no other way to do this. We are working on it. There is a promise that ultimately we will get a cable all the way to the attic and then add another access point. And that will hopefully solve at least part of my problems. But in the meantime, I'm just uh, making do with whatever I uh, whatever I have. Um, so that is what's going to happen at the beginning of next week. I'll also be doing a, a training. This is new. I've been asked to do a training for the volunteers that are um, uh, creating their own channel, their own video channel around the cathedral of the... Uh, diocese of Haarlem, Amsterdam, which is the northern part of the Netherlands. Um, so a number of volunteers have started to uh, make their own videos, uh, do interviews, do some sh short reports or uh, more journalistic style videos. And, and they just wanted to have some input on how to improve their craft. Now, of course, my experience is limited. I know how to do certain things. I'm, I'm not, <laughs> definitely not qualified to teach everything. But, you know, it, it, it's just one of these times that I have to step over my imposter syndrome and just share what, what I do and how I do things. I can't be exhaustive. I can't explain everything. There may be a lot of things that they need that I can't give them. But, you know, I hope that I can at least inspire them to um, to always try to improve their craft. That's how I got better. It's just by doing and just by posting and then learning from it. And there is almost never a podcast or a video that I post without thinking afterwards, um, maybe I should have done this. Maybe I could have done that better. But it is what it is, you know. Next week, I'll get another chance and I'll, I'll try to get better. Which, by the way, is also another topic that I want to talk about in Father Roderick to the Max. It's my, my plans for the documentaries that I want to make based on a lot of the footage that I filmed in previous years and I've never been able to turn into a TV show for Dutch television, usually because I speak a lot of English. <laughs> 
And so I, I just made an inventory of all the stuff that I have just lying around there on a hard drive and never turned into a story. And there are some excellent stories there. There's some, there's some really great footage. Uh, so I'll be talking a little bit about that. And I listened to a podcast that Cliff Ravenscraft rec recommended me recently that also gave me a lot of ideas for the next couple of months. So, uh, and since my patrons are helping me, uh, you know, making my dreams come true, what was that sound? That was weird. Did you hear that? It's a little squeaky sound. Maybe it's because I'm holding the microphone in my hands and, you know, the cord is maybe rubbing against the mouse or something like that. It sounded like a mouse. Wait a minute. I know that there are mice in the attic because <laughs> Father Henry told me to keep my doors closed. Otherwise, I might get visitors during the night. Hmm. Maybe I should uh, do some rodent control here. Anyway, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff going on right now. Uh, another uh, thing that is still in everybody's mind, of course, is the current vaccinations, the situation uh, during this corona crisis. Um, and it's very mixed. I mean, I hear great stories coming from the United States that they're, you know, really on track with all the vaccinations and then more and more, uh, the, the, definitely the mortality rate is dropping and also the number of infections is getting lower. But in other parts of the world, it is a total disaster, especially India. Um, I mean, it, it just, it's, it's so shocking to see what's happening there and, from what I've heard, the spike in infection still has to come. This is only the beginning uh, of what is already already uh, almost a human human humanitarian disaster over there. And I I just keep praying for for an end to this. And it's it's so painful to see how much, especially now, the the poorer countries are suffering uh, from the lack of of just capacity to deal with this crisis. So keep praying with me, uh, because the, the world needs it. <laughs> You're not like movies. They're predictable. Like, the guy gets the girl, and that kid sees dead people, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. Not liking movies is like not liking puppies. They're fine. I just get bored and never make it to the end. You know, you need a movie education. You need a movication. I'm going to give it to you. Every morning when I wake up, I have on my bedside table um, the only device that kind of keeps me connected to my cool, very geeky life that I had before I had to move, um, which was my my home, my Google Home Hub or whatever it's called nowadays. So it's this device with a screen. It's got a, a, a little camera and a microphone and it reacts to my commands. And I used to have these devices all over the place. Now, maybe that's a privacy disaster. I don't know. I don't want to know. But I loved feeling every day as if I were on the bridge of the Star Trek Enterprise. Because I can just say computer and then, you know, I could give commands and mostly turn on the lights and turn them off again <laughs> and ask for the weather forecast and the news. That would be the extent of my, you know, <laughs> relationship with Google Home. You know, when you see it in Star Trek, it all looks so cool. But in the end, if you are not on a spaceship and you don't have to conduct away missions, what are you going to 
what are you going to talk about with your Google Home? But anyway, every morning I wake up and I ask my uh, Google Home to give me a summary of the news. And I've been able in the Google Home app to indicate which news sources I want to listen to. And most of them are audio sources. There are the occasional, you know, there's the occasional video feed from Reuters and I think, what's the other one? Oh, NPR sometimes is video. That's very weird. So NPR has like this uh, we, this hourly update. And, and most of the time it's just audio, but then sometimes it's video. I don't know how that works. But anyway, so then I, I, I try to wake up. And since my room is so cold, you know, this is, I, I always try to stay as long as I can under the blankets because they're really nice and fluffy and warm. And, and so I, I give myself a reason to stay in bed because I want to hear the news, right? So a few days ago, I woke up with this news that there had been another episode of the Oscars. And like, what? Academy Awards? I, I heard absolutely nothing about it, not before. And I, I didn't see any announcement about, you know, the Oscars being held. And apparently I wasn't the only one because the ratings have never been this low. Well, maybe they were decades ago. But for modern day television, the Oscars, uh, or at least the television show surrounding the Academy Awards, was a disaster. Almost no one watched. And... Uh, I, I'm not surprised because I didn't hear anything about it. Then I went, of course, I went online to, to look at the, the nominees and the winners. And to my surprise, and I am a big movie fan. I watch a lot of movies every year. I recognized almost none of the nominees. I recognized almost none of the names of the directors or actors, just a few exceptions, you know, Anthony Hopkins, who doesn't know him. Um, and, and there were maybe two or three movies that I heard about and I hadn't even watched them. Even the, the animated feature, which normally I've always seen before it gets uh, a win, um, it, I, it was Soul, Pixar's Soul. I still haven't watched that movie. Because I've been so busy, and then when I wasn't busy anymore, like right now, I don't have a, a, the Wi-Fi connection to to watch it, or at least I didn't want to because it it constantly buffers and it's a pain. So, and there was of course the big win, or the big, a relatively big win for the movie Nomad Land, and I was like, wow, I that that is interesting. I I was intrigued. By that movie, I was intrigued by the fact that it had uh, the, 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 a director who also wrote the script, also, you know, I think had a pretty big hand in, in the editing as well. Uh, and this was a foreign director. Uh, let's see, what was her name again? Do I have it open here? Uh, Nomad Land. Oh, no, no, no. I was still looking for info on uh, uh, maybe it's here. Let me see, Nomad Land. I want to get that right. Uh, so it won Best Picture, d won Director. So Chloe Zhao, who is Chinese, if I'm not mistaken, she won uh, the Oscar for Direction. Um, and it also got, it didn't get cinematography. Strangely enough, because it's amazing cinematography. 
And uh, what else? It did get three Oscars, if I'm not mistaken. So best main female uh, uh, actor, um, best director. What was the third one? Let me think. I did have a list somewhere of all the of all the winners. Uh, do I still have that open? Oh yeah, here it is. So let me go through the list here for for a second. Um, original screenplay. Adapted screenplay. So I will just read the ones that I recognize. So no, 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 no. Here we go. Best director, Nomadland. Um, then Soul, best animated feature film. So I'm definitely that's the next movie I'm gonna see. Oh, best documentary. I actually saw this one. My Octopus Teacher. I'm not sure if I reviewed it here on the show. But a very intriguing, weird documentary about a relationship between a guy and an octopus. I'm not making this up. And it's very... It's weird. It's just, there's, <laughs> This guy has gone through a lot. I think he, you know, like a divorce and, and like all sorts of stuff happening in his life. And then in order to kind of start anew or to go on retreat he starts to dive and then sees his octopus and then develops a relationship with the octopus and 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 he films everything which is stunning maybe he was just filming it and afterwards he's like well i i think there's a story here but it is one of the most unconventional stories that i've ever seen in a documentary so yeah maybe that is that is why it won um i also heard about tenet which I think I can see on Amazon Prime, if I'm not mistaken, or Prime Video, uh, but I haven't seen it yet. That one got an Oscar for Best Visual Effects. That's weird, because I did not expect it to be... I didn't think it was a, a, a special effects-heavy movie, but oh well, I'll check it out. I uh, oh, don't know these, don't know these. Don't, oh, Soul actually won another one for the Best Original Score, which was, I think, composed by... What's his name? Uh, John Baptiste, who is the musical leader of the band that plays for The Late Show with, with Stephen Colbert. That's what I know him from because I w sometimes watch these clips on, on YouTube. Um, but I didn't know that he was actually, that he composed an entire movie soundtrack. That is, that's pretty good. Um, and then Best Picture was also won by Nomadland. So Best Director, Best Picture, and Best Actress in a Leading Role, Frances McDormand who plays the main role in Nomadland, and deservedly, what an amazing performance that is. Um, before I talk about what I thought of Nomadland, let me play the sound of the trailer for you here, uh, just to get ourselves a little bit of a soundscape, at least, of what that movie is about. We're one of those lucky people that can travel anywhere. Yes, ma'am. And they sometimes call you nomads. My mom says that you're homeless. Is that true? No, I'm not homeless. I'm just houseless. Not the same thing, right? No. My husband worked at the USG mine in Empire. I was a substitute teacher. It is a tough time right now. You may want to consider early retirement. I need work. I like work. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 
Welcome to Badland Spa. What the nomads are doing is not that different than what the pioneers did. Hey, Fern! Can I make the hole bigger? <laughs> I think Fern's part of an American tradition. Oh, he's going to come right through the glass. My dad used to say, what's remembered lives. I maybe spent too much of my life just remembering. One of the things I love most about this life is that there's no final goodbye. I've met hundreds of people out here, and I don't ever say a final goodbye. Let's just say, I'll, I'll see you down the road. And I do. I see them again. And I can be certain in my heart. I'll see you again. Oh, man. I want to go back to that world. It's such an amazing movie. You know what? After I saw this movie, I just saw it today in the afternoon, which is normally not a time that I'm watching movies. But I wanted to review it here on the show. After seeing this movie, which is about two hours long, I felt like I'd been away for a year. That's what this movie did to me. So it tells a story as a trailer kind of indicates about this woman. I think she's 64 years old. Her husband has died. And not only did she lose her husband, but the entire town where she lived was kind of closed down because the main provider of jobs, the factory, local factory of of gypsum, I think, closed down. And so everybody left and she lost everything. She buys a van and then starts to basically live out of her van. And that is not as romantic as it sounds. I mean, I've sometimes thought about that. What if, you know, now that I have to move, maybe I should no longer want to live in a, in a house. Maybe I should just hit the road and start traveling for the rest of my life. Well, this movie definitely cured my, uh, my, my, my romantic misconceptions about that kind of life because it's really hard. Um, but then she meets this, this community of other people that live out of an RV um, and made it their life, made it also a, a lifestyle and uh, and and it's also a community that that congregates sometimes once a year around this. Uh, well, it's not really a guru, but this 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 kind of leader, this this uh, bearded man who looks a little bit like Santa, and uh, who inspires this this type of life. And so they have their, this annual meeting where they exchange experiences and teach one another. Uh, just very practical things on how to survive on the road like that. And th the movie follows this woman during an entire year. It starts around Christmas time. That's when we first meet her. It's super cold where she came from. Like, I think the elevation is like uh, four, it says elevation 4,000. I don't actually know what that means. But anyway, it's very frigid. It's definitely somewhere in the north of America. And, and then she, she travels through the United States and ends up ultimately, I think, on the, on the West Coast, if I'm not mistaken, where it's a lot warmer. But then she hits the road again. And the entire movie follows her and, and shows these vignettes of moments 
during her trip. And at first I was waiting for a storyline to develop or I was like, oh, maybe this is what's going to happen. And, and you're just waiting for something to drive the story. And then ultimately you start to calm down. You start to realize that well, this is not what this story is about. This is just literally a portrait. This this enables you to live that life with the main character and to meet the people that she meets. And a lot of the movie, and this may not be for everyone, a lot of the movie is just about the simple life and about these uneventful things that happen. But all of them are highly symbolic. And this, the one of the reasons that I love this movie so much is that it... It slows you down as well. It helps you to just to forget about your current life and just follow their journey along. And you, you, you get to know all these characters. And what is so stunning about this movie, it's not just the cinematography, which is fantastic. You see all these different areas, all this nature in the United States. You, you realize how big America is, North America is. Um, it's not all, it's not the, the, the amazing editing. This movie is superbly edited. And I know this because I do a lot of editing myself. And I learned a lot from this. You know, it is slow editing. It takes, it gives you time to breathe. It, it doesn't hesitate to just show you a landscape for, for 10 or 15 seconds, which may to you sound like, well, that's so short. But in terms of editing, 15 seconds is so long. I almost never do a shot that's longer than 10 seconds. It's just the way we're used to, the way things are edited nowadays is like every 10 seconds, something needs to change. Otherwise you get bored. And since I'm in the TV business, I got to make sure that people keep watching. So I feel this constant pressure to, to make, a, to show a lot. Well, this movie takes its time, and it, it has a psychological effect on you. Um, uh, and, and, and what is wonderful is that the cinematography, also the music, there are a number of songs, but it's almost always uh, songs that are played for real. So there's not a sound... Well, there is a soundtrack. Most of it is piano music. Um, but there's barely ever... I think... I'm not sure, but I, I can't remember that they are just playing a song underneath footage, what I do all the time. Now, it's just someone is playing a guitar and sings a song, or she hears a song on the radio. But if you listen carefully to the words, almost every time these words are applicable to the situation, are enlightening what you see. And there, there is this almost poetry going on, this, this incredible collaboration between the images, the storyline, what happens to the character, the music, the lyrics of the music that plays, sometimes even colors. And uh, maybe it's because I have a trained eye and I, I'm, I'm always working myself in this, you know, editing stuff, that I maybe I see these things. But I can also imagine that if, even if you're not uh, editing yourself, you must at least intuitively feel that that it just works. There's there's harmony in this in this movie, and it is. But that's not the most impressive aspect of this movie. What is truly impressive is what I discovered after I saw it, 
that most of the people that you see that live out of these vans that that the main actress acts against are real people. They are actually living out of a van. This story is based on, I think, the reporting of a journalist who actually immersed herself for a year or something like that in the life of these of these people. And so, a lot, the, like the main character of her of the book that she wrote about her experiences among these people that live out of a van is a side character in this movie. And but the, the it's the real person who is actually also acting in this in this movie. When I was watching this, I was like, I cannot believe that this is acted. It feels like a documentary, and there you can't you can't even act certain things. Like the guy who is the in, the great inspirator for all these uh, people that live from vans, the, the the Santa figure. At the end of the movie, he has a conversation with the main actress. And he talks about something that had a huge impact in his life. I won't spoil it. And the way it, the way he tells that story, I was like, this guy should just for this scene should receive an Oscar. And it turns out, it wasn't acting. It was his real story. And and I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe they pulled this off. How how what an incredible job the director did making people so much at ease that they're fully themselves. There is not one single moment in this movie where, where you feel like, oh, this is probably not a, not, not a real actor and someone who, who is trying to, to play. No, these people are themselves. And I just can't imagine how they pulled that off for a, for a story like this. It is, I mean, I always try in my work to put people at ease as much as I can because the more people are at ease, the more they forget about the fact that I'm making a TV show, the more real, the more authentic the story becomes, the more they are really telling me their, their, their life, their ideals, their challenges. But as soon as people start to, to realize that they're actually performing or they, they, they think that they need to perform, that's usually when, a, when an interview goes, goes, goes haywire and you have to cut, cut it all out when people start to perform instead of just being themselves. And so I am, I'm just amazed by this movie. And uh, so you follow this, this lady for an entire year and it's just sheer beauty. Uh, it's such a real story, and uh, mostly because most of what you see is real. Um, and yet, at the same time, it is very much a movie. So don't go watch this for the special effects. Don't go watch this for like an incredible story arc that will, you know, always throw you for a loop and, and will surprise you at every turn of the road. It's nothing like that. But if you want to live through the eyes of someone else, this this life on the road, and discover some gems along the way and meet some fascinating, beautiful people along the way. And this is your movie. I I totally understand why this got the Oscars uh, that it won. And I also think it sh maybe should have won even more. <laughs> Catholics rock!
Here at the Peculiar, a bunch will always have to tell you everything you always wanted to know about Catholics and their strange traditions that you are afraid to ask. Catholics can be a peculiar bunch. No meat on Friday. No meat? What do they eat? Light bulbs? And today I figured I'd just share with you a very interesting experience that I had on King's Day. Uh, it's the story of St. Bernald. Man, you guys got more crazy rules than Blockbuster Video. Now, you know, if you've been listening to my show for a while, that, that the Catholic faith is not just about an ideology. It's not about certain tr- truths that you should embrace. It's not just something intellectual. Being a Catholic is also being part of a story, being part of a family, and, and being part of a family story that goes back all the way to Jesus, basically. And what, to me, makes being a Catholic so fascinating is that you, you have this treasure trove of, of stories, of, of experiences of people that, that lived sometimes centuries before you, and you still can connect because they lived from the same faith and had the same ideals and the same, the, the same values that you have nowadays. And so... That's why I'm always fascinated by the saints in the Catholic Church. I don't see saints as like a competition for God or something that distracts us from worshiping, you know, the the Trinity. On the contrary, I think saints are are making faith much more relatable because they too were men and women like me and they had their struggles, they had their challenges. Life was not always easy and yet the gospel and their relationship with Jesus helped them to live their life in a way that is exemplar, uh, exemplary. <laughs> that is an example for me and that can still inspire me today. I mean, isn't that amazing that sometimes people from eight, nine, ten centuries ago can still have an impact on the way I live my life. I, I love that about being a Catholic. So one of these people almost completely forgotten by most people, uh, by most Christians, even in my own country where this guy is from, is St. Bernald. And so this last Tuesday, we went to visit the place where uh, this saint actually had his parish. He was just a simple parish priest. It is a small town, part of of Father Henry's parish, uh, and it's the town of Osterbeek. And Osterbeek has two churches, or maybe maybe more, but we visited two. One is a Protestant church and one is a Catholic church. The Protestant church is the oldest one. And according to what I heard, it is one of the oldest churches of my country and definitely of the region. And this dates back to the, to the, to the Middle Ages. Um, and the, the church was run by a priest who was called Bernold or in... In, in, in Dutch, Bernolfus. I guess that's actually Latin, Bernolfus. Bernie, Ber, Berno, Ber, Ber, Benny, Ber, Ber, whatever. <laughs> Multiple abbreviations for his name. So, uh, St. Bernold uh, worked there as a priest. And the local, what was it, emperor or king or whatever, um, was in a bit of a, of a, a tizzy. Uh, because back then, the, the rulers, the, the, like the worldly rulers had quite a bit of influence on what happened in the church. And so it was up to the 
the what was his was it a king let me just look that up for you so i don't uh, say anything stupid so so emperor conrad the second um i think it was the second or was the third well anyway let's just call him conrad um he uh, was called to help with a conflict in the church of utrecht which is was the seat of the of the bishop back then uh and still is because they the, the 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 bishop the previous bishop died and then they just couldn't agree on his successor and so they asked for the emperor to come in and and, and mediate between all the fighting factions so nothing has changed between that this happens in um in the 11th century and so the the emperor is like oh my gosh i oh, i don't want to go there and it's just everybody's gonna hate me no matter what i say they, i can't win here and so he stops along the way in osterbeek in this small church because his wife also came along and she's pregnant and she's about to give birth and she's so sick from from the the, the trip and feeling miserable that uh, he knocks on the door of this priest and asks her and asks him if she can stay with him and he will continue to Utrecht which was only probably less than a day away by horse so the empress i think she must have been the empress stays there and while he is fighting with all the the clerical uh, people there about this this new bishop um her uh, his his wife gives birth to to uh, a child and so the priest is like oh man he missed it i got to go to utrecht and tell him the good news so that's what he does he travels to utrecht and 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 enters the room in the middle of a big fight and the emperor is there like oh i do who are we going to make a bishop you know all the candidates hate each other and then the priest arrives and he's like you've got a baby was it a son or was it a girl i don't know anyway you've got a child your 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 wife gave birth and then the emperor is like, oh, this is the best news I got all day. Wait a minute. This guy is a priest. Why don't we make him a bishop? You know what? Here's your new bishop. And now you just take this guy. And I want him to be the bishop. And that's how Bernold became bishop. And the funny thing is, one of the things that he's known for is that he actually afterwards, as a bishop, did his best to lower the influence of the worldly rulers on the church he wanted the church to be more independent and especially there was a quite a, a bit of a, there was an issue with with local rulers and also even even the bishops the the how would you say that the regular bishops they always tried to to manage the monasteries and the monks and the sisters and whatnot and and saint bernard is like these monasteries have to be independent they need their own jurisdiction and we you know we should make we should fight for their independence and and at the time there was this big renewal of the monastic orders happening in cluny in france and he was quite taken with this with these reforms and so he did a lot for you know the independence of of monastic orders um so that's one of the things that he was known for and the second thing was after since he was and of course we don't know for sure and there are some historians that say well it wasn't the guy this is just a story that we made up afterwards but anyway <laughs> like they say in italy se non è vero è ben trovato if it's not true it's really well 
it's a good story, you know. But anyway, since he was he had been a pastor of a regular parish, one of the things that he did was we need to build more churches. And so since he was in Utrecht, he came up with this idea. So I've got my cathedral here in the center, but what if we create like a visual cross and on these four ends of this this imaginary cross, I will build a church. And so he was at the origin of at least three of the four churches that were were built, uh, some of them during his life and some of them after he died, or at least one of them after he died. And that is known as the Church Cross in Utrecht, and it's still known until today. I think a number of these churches are still there that he helped build. So he's always depicted as... Um, a, a builder of churches, and and so there is this. In the, we afterwards we went to this Catholic church, which is still part of the parish of Father Henry. It is a community that is not doing very well, so it, <laughs> it's not it's not certain if that church will survive um, as a building. Um, but in that church, they still have a small relic of of uh, of Saint Bernard. Most of the other relics are in a museum, I think, in Utrecht, which always makes me a bit mad. I was like, that should not be in a museum, like the opposite of what what Indiana Jones says. That should be in a museum. I was like, that should not be in a museum. That should be in a church so we can venerate these these relics. Um, But at least they have a little bit of uh, a piece of bone uh, that they keep in Osterbeek. And also in the Catholic Church, there are lots and lots of of depictions of his life. And you see him depicted as a, uh, a teacher, preaching. Uh, after all, he was a parish priest. And then uh, he's sitting there surrounded by architects, making new plans. What I like about this guy is he's an entrepreneur. And I think we need these examples. And it's almost ironic that the church in the place where he used to work as a parish priest is now in so much trouble. And we are closing so many churches in our diocese right now. And I feel like sometimes maybe we're just talking ourselves into the closure of these churches. We've given up. We say, well, you know, we can't pay the bills anymore. And, you know, everybody in church is old. So we'd better just concentrate in a few places and just close all the others. At least we'll make some money that we can just invest in the, the, the few churches that remain open. And I'm thinking... Yeah, from a human perspective, yeah, I can understand that choice. It's maybe the rational thing to do. But is it the faithful thing to do? Shouldn't we negotiate more with the Holy Spirit? After all, we're in this time of, of, of Easter and we're, we're, we're heading towards the Pentecost. The Holy Spirit is God himself. And the Holy Spirit has always surprised mankind throughout history. Why don't we just negotiate like all the saints have done in one way or another? Ask God to help and to do to to give him give us a miracle. Do something. It's your church. It's not my church. And it's going downhill. But we can ask God to come to our rescue. It shouldn't just be a rational financial decision to close churches. And I think Bernold shows us. The, the surprise of the birth of that child in his rectory back then that became the reason that he was created a bishop and ultimately led to his sainthood. That is the kind of surprise 
that I think we should be more open to. We should, we should give God room to surprise us. And, and maybe priests like me, we should be the mediators in, in that respect. We, we are supposed to defend our flock, right? We just heard the, the gospel of the Good Shepherd the other uh, Sunday. Maybe that's what we should do more. We should fight for our churches. And not just on a financial management level but also in our prayers. We should fight to keep these churches open. We should maybe even ask for the miracle to be able to build new churches instead of just letting go and feeling like we're turning off the lights and leave the, the house for good. I mean, yeah. Or maybe we should just hit the road and become a church of missionaries, you know? Maybe we should all create new churches in the forms of vans and just go from place to place. I don't know. I don't I don't have the answer. But I do learn from a guy like St. Bernard that we have to be entrepreneurs. We have to believe in the future of the gospel. We have to believe that if it ha- has been able to change the lives of men and women and children for the past 20 centuries, there's no reason to believe that God will stop doing that in the next 20 centuries. We should believe in it. We should fight for it. We should pray for it. And then maybe, maybe things will change. When did you become an expert in thermonuclear astrophysics? Last night. The packet. The extraction theory papers. Am I the only one who did the reading? I've been reading a a book uh, or listening to an audio book, and sometimes I read pages. I have both versions. Written by Jenny Lawson, and it's called Furiously Happy. And I remember a couple couple of years ago when I was traveling a lot by airplane, I saw this book everywhere I went. It's got a raccoon, I think, on the front of the on the cover of the book, which looks furiously happy, which is the title of the book. It's just this happy raccoon. It's a very funny, funny cover. And I started reading it, and I was I, I don't know the uh, the author, uh, Jenny Lawson. Apparently, she's one of those mom bloggers. She started her career by just blogging about her life as a mother. But more and more, the more she wrote, the more she came forward with her personal history of dealing with depression, with ADD, and all sorts of related psychological problems. And one of the things that she realized when she was writing about her own personal situation and she's got a great sense of humor so it's it's she writes about this these topics and at the same time she does it with a an, uh, a sense of humor uh, 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 the 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 humor kind of lowers the threshold to talk about all these mental issues that she has been dealing with for most of her life and she makes it easier for other people to also talk about their mental problems and their struggle sometimes with life. And so she recorded uh, a TED Talk, a TEDx Talk, which I will link to in the show notes. And I would really invite you to, to watch it because it gives you an idea of why the storytelling that she does is so important because it tells so many people that thought they were alone with their mental issues and their the war that they're fighting every day with themselves. 
uh, it, the, her story has helped countless people to also tell their story. And, to, and most of all, most importantly, to feel that they're not alone, that there, there, there are many other people that fight the same fight, that, that have to go through the same struggle day after day. And it's just something about knowing that you're not alone. Because that's what oftentimes depression will lie to you, will tell you, you're all alone, everybody hates you, you hate yourself, like, so everybody hates you. It's a lie. And she unmasks that liar, that is depression, and she just says, you know, you are not alone. And, and there are ways to move forward, and maybe things will not always get better right away, but there, you can definitely, if you, you, there are many reasons to continue to fight this fight. And so she's very empowering for all these people that suffer from mental illness. And, uh, and, and plus, it's, it's, a, it's an easy read. Because it's so funny, it's hilarious. She she makes fun of her own her own disasters in life, and there are, you'd think that someone who goes through all these problems that you know would have nothing to laugh about, but she does it all the time, and it's it's she has an incredible talent. So the book is called Furiously Happy, and the writer is Jenny Lawson. I haven't finished the, the book entirely, but um, but I can already recommend it. I love it so far. <laughs> Scientifically wonderful world of science. What sort of science? Welcome back, science friends. Uh, welcome back, science friends. A brief update on the helicopter that is currently trying to fly around on Mars. And I say trying because the fourth scheduled flight unfortunately failed. For some reason, it just didn't work. They're going to try to analyze what's going on and try again. Uh, I think in total, there are only five flights that were scheduled, and I think this has to do with the in incredible amount of energy that is necessary to lift this helicopter, because, of course, the atmosphere is only a fraction of our atmosphere, and so the density of the air is much, much less than here on Earth. So it means that, basically, you need a lot of power for these this incredible speed that the rotor blades have to turn around with, in order to lift the helicopter. And so the fourth attempt after three very successful ones, let's not forget about that, for some reason just didn't work. Um, but it's, I'm almost sad that, we're, that it's almost over. I just love that idea of a helicopter flying around, and we're so used to drones nowadays here on Earth. But of course, this is the premise of something great to come. If this works then I'm pretty sure that, that NASA, maybe other countries as well, will try this technology in the future and will have way more of the, maybe the whole concept of a Land Rover, like a little car driving around, will be at one point uh, surpassed by these flying drones that can, uh, of course, explore um, areas much faster and can basically go to places where you can't come with a car. Um, I'm super excited about it. Another thing that they recently tried was to generate oxygen on Mars from chemical elements that, that you can find on Mars. And that, too, was successful. Now, they only created a tiny, tiny, tiny little bit of oxygen using a lot of resources, but they did pull it off. And so, in theory, it should be possible, if you scale this up, 
to generate oxygen from what you find on Mars. You don't have to take oxygen with you. Well, a little bit, maybe to get there. But then maybe a generation after us, or maybe two or three generations after us, will be able to live on Mars generating oxygen and becoming self-sustained, which is ultimately what you want if you want to have people you know, well, live or at least do research on Mars because the way back is kind of hairy, kind of tricky. And we know from the movie The Martian how dangerous it can be. And that's fiction. I think reality is a lot more dangerous. I don't think you can pull off the, you know, I'll eat potatoes for an entire year and they'll get rescued. I, even though the book itself was scientifically very well documented, I still think, think it's more fiction than than science right now. But uh, but who knows? I, I just love to see how we're so inventive that we can come up with these new ways of trying to spread out in the universe, even though we'll probably never get beyond the confines of, let's say, the planet Mars. There is almost nothing beyond it where we can live, like Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Pluto none of them are candidates for for uh, for human ha uh, habitation but mars maybe maybe i don't know i don't know if we if we want to live there but at least it's possible theoretically all right we are on the cutting edge of technology wow well what does that mean let's plug it in it's going to say hey i see you plugged in a new device and it's going to load in the appropriate drivers. You'll notice that this scanner built... Whoa. Well, all your technology stuff, it just ends in disaster. But there is one more thing. Soundscapes. That's the one thing I want to talk about today. One more thing. Um, so I was uh, talking in my other show, Father Roderick to the Max, about... Uh, oh, maybe it was on this show, I don't remember. But that sometimes I just put on this background ambient noise so I can concentrate better. I do that when I read. I do that a lot. Uh, I put on, I, I've got this playlist on Spotify and it just plays this very calming piano music and it, it, it works wonders when it comes to my concentration. I also sometimes do that with a, a loop on YouTube with sounds from the bridge of the Enterprise D? Maybe I'm not enough of a trackie to know <laughs> the enterprise from the next generation so there's this constant hum and you've got all these little bleeps in the background and and some people create it like a, a, a loop of several hours where the only thing you hear is, is this and and there's something calming about it you know no ferengi to to spoil the mood um and then on Discord, on the Discord server where um, the uh, the Patreon community often chats, uh, people started to give examples of the soundscapes that they enjoy. And uh, <laughs> I saw one that I immediately adopted. Erica posted uh, a link to a Ewok soundscape. And it is really cool. And, and, and it, it totally works. So you see, basically, you see the, the Ewok village from the end of uh, Return of the Jedi. There's this one shot, and you only see it very, very briefly, but they enhanced it with some extra elements on it, some visual elements, and they added ambient sound, and then you get something like this. Uh, so you hear the campfires in the distance. You can hear 
You hear the Ewoks? There's basically Ewoks partying in the background. But you're watching it from a distance. <laughs> and this is happening in the twilight, you know. Very calming. This video is one hour and 24 seconds long. And you can just put it on repeat and, and just imagine that you're reading the book sitting on one of the balconies of, a, of an Ewok village. And as long as Luke Skywalker or C-3PO has your back, you won't be served as dinner for the Ewoks, which is, by the way, one of the most gruesome <laughs> under... Um, uh, or just like under under stress, it's like almost almost no one realizes what would have happened had C three PO not been uh, revered as as this golden shiny god. Then Luke Skywalker and Leia and 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 Han would have been served for dinner. That's what Ewoks truly are. They're not the cuddly bears. They're gruesome man eaters. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And with that, with that thought, with that comforting thought of these nice cuddly Ewoks gnawing on your toes, it is time for me to wrap things up. Thank you so much for listening. Thanks for watching if you're watching this on YouTube or Facebook. And I'll be back for more. If you want to hear more of me, go to fatheroderick.com. That's where you can subscribe to my shows or just look for Father Roderick on social media and in your favorite podcaster. See you next week. Take care and God bless. Bye.